Hello and welcome. If you are listening, you're listening to a another new episode of NMPC Plus.、Uh, but if you're watching, you're watching a bit of a, a different thing altogether.、Uh, I should probably introduce myself first. I am Josh. I am the worship pastor at New Mercy Palisades Church, little old church plant that could in Palisades Park, New Jersey. I am joined by Pastor Bobe. Hello, Pastor Bobe. Hello. And I am joined by Pastor Key. Hello, Pastor Key. Hello. <laughs> and、uh, this is a bit of a different setup today because I am actually coming to you from、uh, Portland, Oregon,、uh, while my friends and my fellow pastors are coming to you from、uh, New Jersey. And so,、uh, hail to the wonders of modern technology! We can try to record a podcast. Indeed. From opposite ends of the coast. How awesome is this, guys? Yeah, man. What room are you in?、Uh, I'm just in. So, like,、uh, my wife Dawn. She has some friends who live out here, and they just set us up in like one of their extra like spare bedrooms. Oh, nice. And so I'm just I'm just in a bedroom right now. I am、uh, I'm I'm still marveling at、uh, sort of how we're able to to pull this off, and hopefully we were able to to pull it off well. But yeah, I, I'm just.、Uh, I'm just sort of here, guys. Awesome. I'm jealous. <laughs>、yeah. Is it cold there or is it warm there? You know,、um, it's it's a mixture of both,、um, but it's definitely like on the colder side because,、um, like, it snowed about like forty forty minutes ago,、oh, wow. and it was snowing for a little while,、uh, but then it stopped snowing. And then yesterday,、um, it was raining like on and off. For basically the entire time that we、mm. were here, it was raining when we came in. Like, and they they say that Portland weather is sort of like that, where you're、um, you're like on and off, on and off.、Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of like right now it's sunny. I mean, it's so sunny that I had to close the blinds, and you still sort of see、um, the、uh, the like the glare coming off of、mm. the the blinds,、mm. but. Who knows? And even the, the friends that we were staying with, they were like, "Hey, you never know with this weather." But、um, we were still able to see some really wonderful、um, sights. We saw a couple waterfalls yesterday. Yeah, we saw on your Instagram. Yeah,、nice. and I gotta say, this is such a different part of the country than than from where we are.、Hmm. Yeah, but have you guys ever been out here? No. Yeah, no. I never no. knew Oregon. I didn't. I never knew where it was, but it's above California, right?、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or is it to the right、okay. of California? Isn't it above Washington?、State? It's above California. Yeah,、oh. but below Washington State. Oh, and then it's Washington. Yeah,、State? but、no. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's Oregon, and then like California, Oregon, Washington.、Yeah. But、oh. where we are, so like we flew into PDX, which is the Portland Airport.、Hmm. But technically, technically,、um, our friends out here live in Camas, Washington,、hmm. which is like right there.、Hmm. Like the state line is is right、oh, there. So it's kind of like if you're from Jersey or our part of Northern New Jersey, you can so easily go into New York,、yeah. New York State, New York City,、mm-hmm. kind of come in and out. Makes sense. So, so it's one of those deals. When you say it's so different, what do you mean? Like, obviously, like we have trees. But they're because it's always wet here.、Mm-hmm. Their trees are covered in moss. They're also bigger.、Yeah. They're also like they've made a city within the trees. They've made towns within 
in the trees where our towns and townships in, in northern New Jersey, they like those little suburbs, it's kind of like trees are sort of the afterthought to the houses and the roads and stuff. Yeah. Um, but here, I don't know, at least for the parts that I've been in, um, there are suburbs and places that we've dri- like driven through where it's just forest oh. and incredible, like wonderful wildlife and wow. forest here. Cool. Yeah. Does it feel like uh, Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth? <laughs> I had a different, I had a different book in mind. Which one? Um, I turned to my wife and I was like, "This is the land of twilight." That's what I was thinking. Ew! It's it's just because <laughs> Pastor Key's old. Ew! He doesn't know twilight. I I actually I saw the movies because my wife forced me to watch them, and. I can see those trees in my mind's eye now, now that you bring it up. I see the werewolves running through the forest. I see that. It's a a terrible image. Yeah. Well, um, let's not dwell on that image. Yeah, let's just move on. I I wanted to ask um, one of the, you know, one of the maybe uh, not so great parts about me and uh, coming out here with my wife was, uh, there was, um, you guys took a field trip uh, yesterday mm-hmm. yeah. to Princeton Theological Seminary to hear uh, a lecture. Um, I-, I would love to hear about it. Like, tell me how that was. Tell me how that, that lecture was, the speaker. Tell me how the experience was yesterday. I- I'm so sorry that I missed it, actually. It's all right. Pastor Key's going to tell you all about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful co-hosting. I mean, it was it was fun just going down to Princeton Seminary. You know, it's always nice taking a trip down there. And uh, Pastor John Huh from the other New Mercy. Or actually, no, he's not there anymore. I keep forgetting that. <laughs> he's uh, he works at Princeton Seminary, and uh, we got to see his office. But he also treated us to uh, dinner. I know breakfast. Uh, lunch, lunch, guys, lunch. <laughs> lunch, lunch. Awesome. It was that pizza place that we tried when we were down for our staff retreat. Oh, that same restaurant? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It uh, was so much nice. better this time than the last time. Because we were so full last yeah. time. Uh, but, you know, after that, we basically hung out. I, I showed them the library, um, which was pretty cool. It's always cool going to that library. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, I showed them the chapel, and then we went to the lecture after that. And, you know, Daniel Lee, good fr- friend of mine who wrote that book, um, what was it? Doing Asian American Theology? Yeah, Doing yeah. Asian American Theology. And uh, it was just really good. The lecture was, was great and got a lot to think about. And then we drove home. We just talked about it the whole whole way home. Uh, so, mm. yeah, a lot, lot to think about. Really good stuff. And then he, he actually talked today mm. at the pastor's gathering. Um, oh, yeah. He gave a part two. And he talked more about kind of uh, multicultural or multi-ethnic churches and you know, he gave a critique of them, uh, which was very cogent and very powerful. Um, and yeah, the people really resonated with what he had to say. Today he was a little bit more animated, actually. It felt like he was preaching a sermon, uh, but it was really good mm-hmm. overall. So, Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> cool. What, what about for you, Bobby? It was good. I don't... Um, well, I was a cultural anthropology minor. So I took mm-hmm. some Asian American studies and stuff like that, but they were all taught by like white people. And mm-hmm. not to say that they can't teach it, but I had some like qualms about it, not gonna lie. But 
I think this is something to wrestle with, especially now because uh, being Asian is now different in 2023 than it was even mm-hmm. 10 years ago. And mm-hmm. how our ethnic identity affects the way we do Christianity or live out our, our lives and also how we reconcile that with our identity, um, mm-hmm. I think is something that us pastors and ministers need to kind of, um, you know, work through. Because it's there, you know, something he said was there's not a lot of material on this. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think this is a very good start. Um, to figuring that out. And yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed the lecture. I didn't get to hear him today, but what I heard yesterday was really good. And just hanging out with, you know, Pastor Key and our two friends, Christine and David, Mm -hmm. um, and their baby, Ezekiel. He was so good. The best baby to take on a trip. Like he was in the library and like did not cry. He didn't cry the single time Mm -hmm. the whole trip. It was so good. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. Wow. So awesome. it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, in the future, I think we should probably do a podcast dedicated to Asian American theology, right? Because there's so much that he talked about that I would love to talk about. If I were to mention any of his points, I think it could be mis- misconstrued, but it was very powerful. Um, and it's not something that's kind of like this esoteric thing. It's actually... Mm-hmm very relevant to uh, the ministry that we're doing. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love that. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, but Did you get um, me a book though, PK? Did I get you a book? Yeah, today. Um, Clearly not. Yeah. There's one in the library. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> I should have been there. <laughs> no, nah, just kidding. I'm just messing. Um... Will the uh, will the talk be available for other people who weren't there, yep. or maybe were laymen? Or like, w- will they be able to get that talk? Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, both talks are going to be available. I actually recorded the one today on my phone, and it came out came out pretty good, actually. Um, nice. But I think the second one will probably be a little bit. More accessible to the layperson as opposed to the first one. Yeah, yeah. Do you think he'd ever consider coming on the podcast? Oh yeah. Oh, one thousand person. I think he would. Wow. Yeah, okay. he he'd even fly out. We can do remotely whatever you want. I mean, he just Ooh. he loves this stuff. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, awesome. Well, hopefully we can we can get that. Uh, we can move on that pretty soon. Yeah. Um. Well, um, be on the lookout for that. If you're listening, if you're watching, be on the lookout for any more information or, um, you know, the, the, the recordings that, that may have been taken in the past couple of days. Um, it, I mean, we're, we're an Asian American community, right? Like primarily yeah. Korean Americans in our church. Um, but you know, the Asian American, uh, landscape theology, it, it, it shouldn't matter to us at, at mm-hmm. least to a moderate degree, right? Um, as as much as we want to be sort of, um, you know, we don't look at race or color or, or, or any of this stuff, um, you know, I, I think at the very least having some kind of base level understanding of what Amer- Asian American theology um, looks like, especially in America, um, like it can really only help um, as opposed to hinder, right? So yeah. 
And this is something that should matter to the believer, especially for Asian Americans um, that are just trying to craft their own um, identities, cultures, all this stuff when it comes to doing church in America. So um, be on the lookout for that. I'm I'm really excited for that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, I, you know, moving now um, to what we usually do, uh, just to talk a little bit about the sermon convo. Um, Pastor Key, uh, as always, I'm going to give it back to you. If you could just help help us out here, give us a, a little bit of a refresher so that we have a little bit more context going into the um, conversation. I, I should say, um, you know, listening to the message on Sunday and also uh, listening to it again in preparation for our conversation, man, there, my mind went to a thousand different places and I have like all these questions and places <laughs> that I want to kind of explore, um, which is probably, uh, you know, a consequence of the fact that, you know, what you spoke about, you know, like it's good and it's good for people to have so many like follow-up questions. And mm. so I kind of wanted to take it um, in that direction. But mm. for now, if you could just give us that context and that refresher. Um, yeah, so I, we started a series on the life of David. Uh, titled Behind the Crown. Um, and uh, I start off with the story of David and Goliath. So this was pretty close to right after David is introduced in the book of Samuel. Um, in the prior chapter, he's kind of anointed by by the prophet Samuel, um, and nobody expected him to be the one who'd be anointed. And then pretty much about a chapter later, he's... Um, out there fighting David, uh, uh, fighting Goliath, right? While all the uh, the Israeli army was just, um, you know, really afraid of him. And um, I'm trying to remember the the basic gist of the message. I should have thought about this before <laughs> coming onto the podcast. Um, but basically, it was. Oh yeah, it was the the, the subtitle of the message was a God saturated imagination. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, Goliath basically dominated the ima- imagination of the Israelites in psychological warfare, making them afraid. Uh, and for David, his mind was so God saturated that he was um, not as controlled by fear, right? Because God dominated his imagination. He can think outside the box, he can uh, trust that, you know, hey, God is actually much more powerful than Goliath. And that, that led to him taking steps of faith that some of the other Israelites didn't do. Uh, and then after that, I basically explored just some other ideas that came up in the text. You know, things like, um, where do you get courage from, right? Um, how do you be your authentic self, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, especially when you look at the part where David doesn't wear the armor of Saul, right? And he mm. just goes mm. as a shepherd, as who he knows himself to be. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, the takeaway for me, the big takeaway is just to, in every situation in life, to um, let your mind be saturated by the possibilities of God rather than what the world says the possibilities are. Uh, yeah. yeah, so that's basically it. That's just of it. I, yeah. I think I threw a long story in there about uh, about a powerful healing. That uh, mm. and, you know, my objective there was just to open people's minds as to what is possible. Mm. So, yeah, mm. that was it. Yeah, 
Um, Pastor Bove, uh, I'd love if you could uh, maybe just give, if you've, have you been able to listen to the message? Yes. Yeah. Um, if you could just give me like some uh, immediate takeaways for you as you were listening, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Just kind of like where your mind immediately went. I mean, you can, like we're three pastors, right? And when we hear a message about David and Goliath, a story that we all should know very well, um, I'm sure like, you know, the three of us have like a thousand different ways that we can kind of let our minds sort of wander when it comes to a passage like this. So, I mean, speak from whatever sort of angle or place that you can. Um, just give me um, some of your takeaways, some of the things that sort of immediately came up when you were listening to it. Um, I think I can't hear me. Yeah, you're good now. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I think um, I actually like, the last bit of your sermon where mm. you kind of did the takeaways mm. for people. I kind of wish you like expanded on that more. Now I couldn't tell you like each one, but I just remember yeah. thinking like, oh man, this is like really good. Yeah. And I think um, that part about, I mean, the whole, like your your title is your whole, like pretty much your sermon, right? Mm. Like the God saturated imagination. I think that is so relatable because everybody faces some kind of giant, right? It might not be a literal battle against like a nine-foot soldier, but everybody mm. has their own battles that they're dealing with. And at that point, you have a choice just like the Israelites did. You can continue to be in fear of the giant that stands before you, or you can decide that God, like you can decide on God pretty mm. much. Mm. Yeah. So those were like my two takeaways yeah. from the message. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll get to some of those takeaways a little bit later on, but I was interested because, um, and Pastor Key, you even sort of said, like you announced that you would do something like this and then you actually did it and it kind of, I feel like put a different tone or a tenor on the message because um, not to say that you're always topical, but I feel like in a lot of ways um, you have a really good grasp of a thing, a concept, and then you um, preach and you talk about it and you cover it from all different angles. But for a story like this, you even said like you, this was going to be more expository. Like you're going to be more expository in your approach yeah. and you really sort of, um, took the time to carefully and intentionally walk through like, okay, here's what happens in the first part of mm. this passage. And then here's what happened in the second part. And then on and on and on, really sort of taking people through the mind, um, not only of David, but also of possibly Goliath, mm -hmm. maybe even of Saul, maybe mm -hmm. the, the soldiers of the people of God, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to maybe ask, this is sort of a nuts and bolts question, mm -hmm. but this also is like one of those theological things where it's like, um, to, can you speak a little bit to your mindset, you know, your sort of declaration that you would do something like that and mm -hmm. then taking a sort of almost line by line, right? Mm -hmm. Like why, um, why in a series like this, with the series is behind the crown, mm -hmm. right? 
they were really sort of exploring David's life in all of these different ways. Yeah. Why in a in a series like this uh, is it so important for us to take it in that kind of expository mm-hmm. line by line, you know, taking it in that approach rather mm-hmm. than a topical idea like David was a man after God's own heart and mm-hmm. then doing a couple different like mess, uh, uh, passages of, of scripture yeah. and kind of doing it that way. Yeah, there's so many reasons why I felt it. Most of it was just kind of what I was feeling in the moment. Yeah. But uh, I actually, yeah. I much more personally prefer expository preaching, mm-hmm. uh, simply because the tendency with topical preaching is you take a topic and you find biblical passages that talk about that topic and um, it almost makes you pick and choose the things that you're going to be talking about, whereas expository preaching, you read the text on its own terms, and then the text itself speaks into your life, the things that God wants to speak into your life. And that's not to say that doesn't happen in topical preaching, because no matter what topic you preach on, the Bible always has interesting things to say, you know, uh, mm-hmm. depending on the passages you select. But something about expository preaching, and I think Expository preaching for this particular series lends itself very well to what we're trying to do because uh, I didn't want to come away with a caricature of David's life. Uh, Mm. I want to come away with David and all his nuances of a man who is alive in God, right? And... Um, and, you know, especially because also uh, the story of David is just all narrative, you know what I mean? And uh, people think they remember the story, but they don't really. They remember a synopsis or they remember a caricature of it. And uh, I think the biblical stories were written for a reason the way they were, Mm -hmm. and... um, I love expository because it just takes you back to the details of the word and unpacks and, you know, you struggle and you wrestle with it and and you unpack it for your life. And that's kind of, I, I wanted people to come away with, with a really three-dimensional, multifaceted understanding of David's life. Uh, so that because, mm-hmm. you know, we don't live, you know, caricatured lives, right? We live three-dimensional, complex lives, right? And so so that, that's a, a bit of the thinking that, that went behind it. Uh, but really, I've, I felt like the Spirit was saying, do it this way. <laughs> mm. So Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, I mean, speaking of the, the David and Goliath sort of um, passage, I mean, I mean, David and Goliath, is, it's, it's not just like a... It's not just a well-known story, but the David and Goliath uh, theme, yeah. the sort of, it's its almost like a sub-genre of every type of different media you can think about, yeah, right? Like, right. how many different books have been written about David and Goliath stories? Yeah. Um, how many different movies have been made yeah. about, like, David uh, like David and Goliath story? I mean, the one that, I don't know why this is the one that comes to mind, um, but its its the it's the hockey team. It's the U.S. hockey team against the, the Russian hockey team, and it's a big David and Goliath story. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like there are entire subgenres of of, yeah. of movies, of television, of books, of uh, music, painting, art. I yeah. don't know. Like, there are so many different ways in which the world has kind of, um, dare I say, co-opted yeah. the whole David and Goliath subgenre. I mean. Uh, the other thing that I was thinking about in preparation of today's um, conversation was, um, 
you know, I have a, I have a very fond place in my heart for someone like Malcolm Gladwell, mm. um, who yeah. also has a podcast, um, way bigger than ours, admittedly, mm-hmm. Revisionist History. Um, but he's also written like, I, I want to say like five or six books on yeah. um, very different topics. But one of the books that he wrote and one of the things that I sort of remember him first for um, was this idea, like he tackled the whole David and Goliath story as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And he sort of came at it from a revisionist history sort of a way to mm-hmm. say like, you know, Goliath is portrayed to be the strong, strong-willed, strong-armed, strong presence of a man. And this little shepherd boy of David, um, you know, completely takes down this huge army of a man. Um, but, you know, like when you look at the sociological, the historical evidence, mm-hmm. you'll know that like maybe Goliath wasn't as as sharp-witted <laughs> as one might think he was maybe a little bit more dull mm. um and you'll you'll maybe you'll investigate a little bit more and you'll learn that david wasn't really like 13 or 14 maybe mm. he was close to like 18 19 you know yeah. it's like sort of uh, uh, uh sh- like um making the gap a little bit smaller between david and david and Goliath. Mm-hmm. that's neither here nor there i'm just i'm just saying like so many people yeah. have the story of David and Goliath in their mind. Yes. And what I wanted to ask was this thing of like, how as a pastor, um, how as a speaker, how as a mm. preacher, and this is for you too, Bobe, right? Like, how do you go about trying to steal back people's minds and their understanding about a story like David and Goliath that has been so co-opted by the world, right? Mm-hmm. Because on the one hand, it's a story about the little guy. And it's a story about taking down yeah. the the big guy, but for a Christian, it's it's totally like it's not about that. Mm-hmm. It's about the fact that God was with this God was with this boy David, and mm-hmm. that was what allowed him to do this incredible feat, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. how do you approach that? Does that even enter your mind when it comes to a sermon prep standpoint uh, of like trying to steal people's attentions back, or are you all about? Let me not even focus on that. Let me put some blinders on and just present the text. Yeah. If it steals people's minds back, good. If not, I don't know. Like, what's what's your what's your approach on that? Yeah. So I, that was very much on my mind, and I actually mentioned it right at the beginning of the sermon. I said, you know, David and Goliath is a cultural cliche in our society, where it's the underdog that wins against the odds, right? And um, there's traces of that in there, but that's such a reductive synopsis of, of the story. Uh, and I mentioned it at the beginning because I want to alert people to the fact that, hey, that cultural cliche is there. Remember, that's not the actual story. Uh, and then that's all the more actually why I went the expository route, just to remind people, hey, this is this is the story. And it's such a nuanced, complex, um, extremely theologically rich story. Uh, that has layers upon layers in there and layers that project into the New Testament, like uh, David in this particular story prefigures Christ, you know, to a certain degree. Uh, And, you know, I I just wanted... But yeah, to answer your question, I did think a lot about it. And um, part of the job of the preacher is to explode those things and to remind people of what the actual things are. Actually, I'm kind of glad you brought up Malcolm Gladwell, 
that book that he wrote on David and Goliath, uh, I actually was thinking about reading it, but by that time, believe it or not, I kind of got in a little bit disillusioned <laughs> with Malcolm sure. Gladwell. Uh, sure. <clears throat> you know, I read all of his stuff, you know, and I found some of his stuff very fascinating, but um, one of the critiques that he's received is if you press his stuff just a little bit, uh, oftentimes it doesn't um, hold up to scrutiny. You know, uh, mm. something like the ten thousand hour thing, right? And and some of yep. the other stuff that those have become again cultural, almost memes that uh, are much more complex and sophisticated. And one of the cool things I, I admire about Malcolm Gladwell is recently there's a um, book by David Epstein titled Range, uh, and Malcolm Gladwell's endorsement of the book was it was such fun reading a book that told me everything that I believed was wrong <laughs> or everything i wrote about was wrong yeah. sure yeah, so yeah i mean just i just like a little commentary on uh because he's such a cultural force you know malcolm gladwell yeah but yeah 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 absolutely <laughs> and you know like it's sort of when he speaks people listen yeah. and so when he speaks about something like david and goliath of course people are gonna be yeah. like what yeah. what does this guy have to say about this thing that i thought we already knew and yeah. Bobby, I'd love for you to speak into that as well. Like, what for you, what is it like um, in, uh, you know, you've done this with kids, I'm sure, um, but I'm also, I bet you've had conversations with adults, with with learned people, with experienced believers, and you've probably had um, a time or two, or maybe a thousand times or two thousand times, had to sort of wrestle people's attentions and their imaginations back from like having been co-opted by the world right mm -hmm. so like and it's, it's not just david and goliath i mean like there are a thousand other things like um you know we talk a lot in our church about like tithe and offering and how like the world has co-opted the idea of mm -hmm. like why does god need my money like what is what <laughs> is he so big but like that whole idea just completely gets co-opted right yeah. so bobe tell me like when you preach or when you're preparing a message or some kind of a talk presentation how often does it enter your mind space of like let me try to wrestle people's minds back to the biblical truth and not just speak you know a bunch of words in the hope that it lands in a certain way i think i don't necessarily go as far as like thinking about how the media has taken a certain biblical bible story I just think about if I'm preaching a story that's well known just in mm. the Christian faith, mm -hmm. that's as far mm. as my mind goes. Mm. And obviously I do it a lot with kids because basically like it's all story based. It's generally almost all narrative based, the things that I teach mm. the kids. But mm. I, the way I try, I don't even think about wrestling it back, to be honest, partly because mm -hmm. I don't know what people know. You know, if I'm just, purely talking about messages mm. or like a presentation, I just try to hit the bullseye of what the text is saying. Mm. Sure. And, and at least for me, I know that when it hits, it hits good. And mm -hmm. can I say that? Can I say it like that? <laughs> I, sorry. I mean, say, yeah, yeah, like say when it, say whatever you want to say. Like when it, when, <laughs> when, because there are many times, even myself, not that I've preached many, but sometimes I know that I didn't hit it on the head. 
But when it does hit, it's really good, and I don't have to do anything, hmm. you know. So hmm. I just trust in that process. Hmm. But yeah. when it comes to conversation, I think, like, if I see a misconception, because I'm not trying to take on generally, I'm not trying to take on a a whole of what this person is thinking, you know, because it's not totally false. You know what I mean? It's just dif- I think it's like different sides. Almost, I mean, mm. yeah. Mm. Just put it to put it basically. Mm. So I just, if there's something they're saying that's not theologically right, or if it's like not the right information biblically, then I'll say something. Yeah. You know, yeah. to be like, hey, that's kind of like, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. or say like, you know, it's actually meant to be this. Mm. You know, yeah. in that type of way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but generally, I just think about. What is this story actually, or what is this passage actually saying? Yeah, and that's like baseline for like everything. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good philosophy to have in yeah. general. Um, but I, uh, I, I, I do see the importance of context, though. You got to know your context because yeah. you never know how it's going to be received, and that's one of the things I really appreciated about the Apostle Paul. When he when he's on Mars Hill, right, and he's having the the, the debate with these Greek philosophers, um, he starts quoting their own philosophers to them, uh, showing that he knows their context, right, and then he unpacks his message in a way so that they in their context could grab onto it, you know, and so, so I mean, with David and Goliath again trying to know your context as best as possible, you can you can never know any context comprehensively, right, and, and um, yeah. But yeah, I just think it's good practice overall, but yeah. I don't think you need to kill yourself over it. <laughs> uh, because generally, generally, I do think Bobby's approach is right. Like, yeah, hey, you know, just, just be very clear um, where you need to explain things so that the, con- the, cultural, the culture understands it, do it. And I think that's generally a good rule of thumb, so. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm just different then, and um, again, or, you know, not to say right or wrong, but maybe I'm just different because for me, that is such like a clear and present thing that that is sort of like often on my mind, mm. right? Um, when I talk about um, preaching a, a message about David and Goliath or preaching a message about like Adam and Eve, preaching a message about um, Cain and Abel, like all of these things that are so in the mind space of, of even non-believers, like mm-hmm. non-believers, non-Christians, you've never gone to church a day in your life, and somehow you know the the, the fragments of these stories, mm-hmm. and then you've spent the next 40, 50 years of your life forming opinions about the fragments of these stories mm-hmm. without ever actually having That's to right. read it yourself. You know, like, for me, um, whether right or wrong, um, there's so much of my heart where I'm just like, man, I wonder... I wonder what deconstruction I need to do Mm. for this to have to land. Or Mm -hmm. I wonder if this will even land at all because I'm not deconstructing a previously held belief about this, that, or the other thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, a lot of, a lot of times my mind just goes there. Um, Yeah. I just, I was wondering if if you guys ever go there at all um, with your, with your messages too. Yeah. I mean, 
My mind does always go there because at the end of the day, you know, as much as I'm trying to edify believers, there are people who are in the fringe in our church, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. I need to, if they have a fabled understanding of the life of David, they might not take, for example, the lessons of David's life seriously. And so yeah. I need to be able to yeah. uh, show them and deconstruct their particular belief so that they understand, hey, this is a real story, this is a real person, and these things really happened, and things like that, and and some of the assumptions they might have about the story. What's interesting, what's interesting about David is, um, I don't think there's as much danger with David, uh, David and Goliath maybe, because there's such a it's such a cultural phenomenon, um, but the rest of his stories, you know, David Bathsheba and those other ones, you know, I, I don't think there's as much of a danger. Where where I think there are huge cultural dangers is the one that you brought up with Adam. And Eve. Yeah. So many people have different understandings and cultural, and they think that they're right. Hey, I have the yeah. authoritative understanding of what Adam and Eve is all about. And I actually struggle whenever I mention Adam and Eve because I know I have to unpack a billion different things if they're really going to mm -hmm. understand it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm just like, I can't do that because my wife will get mad at me. And you know, <laughs> she's like, you don't need to explain all that stuff. I'm like, yes, I do. Yeah. But then if I do explain yeah. it, I lose all the people, right? But anyway, you know, Adam and Eve is is very culturally fraught. Uh, and um, I would love one day actually to really unpack it for people so that they, they understand what, what that's all about, you know? So, mm -hmm. but you're right. Yeah, you got you to gotta work through that. And you, uh, the yeah. thing is, that your struggle, like you just mentioned, you can't do it perfectly, nor can you do it comprehensively in a single message. And so you almost have to pick and choose your battles, which is always a hard thing. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But wait, when was the last time you had to like wrestle with that, if at all? Um, in like when I'm preaching, like as a for a message. Yeah, hmm. yeah like preaching for a message. I'll, I'll even extend it to like you know, um, maybe counseling, some kind of like an organized thing, right? Where it's not just a random encounter on the street because those are so like up in the air about how it will go, right? Um, but even like, I, I don't know, like maybe it could also extend to counseling, but maybe primarily preaching. Like when the last time you had to contend with the idea of like, how countercultural am I gonna be when I give this message? Or like, does does this context even understand, you know, like, now sometimes preachers do that thing of like you guys know the story of David and Goliath, mm -hmm. and then and then you're speaking to an entirely like new group of believers, mm -hmm. and they're like, "No, we don't." <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, 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 when was the last time you ever like like dealt with that? I wouldn't say like just because I haven't preached in many different contexts, so sure. I couldn't say that on the pulpit. But I think more on the personal conversations and even like in this like in small group or whatever i think it was more about undoing the wrong ideas of god mm. that was yeah. culturally embedded into people yeah i think that is probably the biggest thing that i do mm. and i continue yeah. to do for myself even yeah. because yeah. ultimately you know like i don't counsel people generally everybody almost everyone that i talk to is Asian American, Korean Americans, you know, like more specifically. So my brain and my, you know, like cultural background adds to the way I see God. And sometimes it's wrong. And so you have to undo that. And mm. actually, I found that 
those things many times are not even just cultural. Hmm. That's hmm. I think everybody has some level of wrong ideas of what, what God is like because of what they've heard on the news or what they've heard in media or you know even in their own families how God was presented hmm. to them. So I think that's probably the thing that I do the most. Yeah. I think the hmm. last time on the pulpit I thought about uh, the story was probably when I preached about Elijah hmm. because that story that I preached was so it's so well known. Um, but yeah. Those, that's probably the biggest thing. Yeah. I love that actually. If you think about it, every sermon is trying to correct people's misunderstandings of God, right? And um, it's always an opportunity to restore or re recalibrate people's understandings of God. So I, th- I think that's probably the big, the big thing that we're always trying to do with every message. So I like that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not only that, but like as pastors, we're not, it, it's kind of like as pastors, we're not uncovering new truths. Mm. We're just the first in line to have our minds recalibrated by the, by the text. Right. Yep. Right. So it's just, we're first in line to be recalibrated. Yeah. Then we try to do that same process of recalibration in our preaching. Yeah. And hopefully other people have their minds recalibrated by the text. Yeah. But if it doesn't, then, you know, like we're not doing anything that the text has not already done in us. Yeah. Right. I love that you so, said it that way. I really yeah. like that you said it that way. Because at the end of the day, I, I hope people don't un- see at least our preaching as mm-hmm. us having known everything and just kind of throwing it out to them. Uh, mm-hmm. My process for preaching is I'm going through the text and I'm discovering it for myself. It's working mm-hmm. on me. And whatever's working on me, I end up being writing about that and putting that out there. And uh, yeah. I like that you brought that up because I think – in one sense, hopefully that'll make our messages a little bit more palatable. It's not us mm-hmm. preaching at you. It's us learning with you and just sharing with you what we've learned for ourselves. So. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, moving now, if, if, if we can, um, talked about God-saturated. I think the term you used, Pastor Key, was God-soaked imagination, right? God-saturated. Um, it, yeah, it was God-saturated, but I mentioned soaked, I think, one point. But the title was God Saturated. Okay. But yeah, yeah, same God thing. Saturated. God Saturated. Yes. Okay. God Soaked, oh, God sorry. Saturated. <laughs> Take a sponge and you put it in God and it is completely yeah, um, taken up by that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, okay. So we just talked about how like David and Goliath is a story that's co-opted and so much of it has to do with like effort, right? Mm. Um, you win and you overcome this big bad enemy through effort, but... Uh, I, I'm, you know, in thinking about it again, I, I'm very curious about the line that you took, especially because you also, like you alluded to it before, you talked about the healing account that, mm. that you really sort of went in depth on just to mm. give us that God-soaked imagination. And, and you talked about all these things, but I'm curious about the line that you took, why it was, why it was God-soaked or God-saturated imagination. Mm. Like, um, oh, I'm I'm moved by that word imagination mm-hmm. and sort of like trying to uncover the why of the imagination. Yeah. Of it. Like, um, and why it wasn't, you know, thinking about David and Goliath, right? Mm-hmm. Why it wasn't something more akin to like God-saturated experience, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. one of the ways to think about a David and Goliath story is David picks up five stones, not because he's trying to test himself, mm-hmm. 
but because he has tested himself. Mm-hmm. In other words, he knows what it's like to like swing mm-hmm. a stone in a sling at a target. Like, and so he has experience in this thing, right? Mm-hmm. So it's so it's a God saturated experience, and so mm-hmm. like that's one line that you yeah. can take into it, mm-hmm. right? But but I, I'm curious to know your thought process about why you decided to go with imagination yeah no that's a good question uh and i'm glad you were moved by it because i was moved by it when i read a commentator who brought it up so there were actually two different commentators that used the word imagination talking about you know the difference between david and these men and i was like wow that that really captures it for me because at the end of the day i could have went with god-soaked thinking or Mm -hmm. god-soaked something Right, Mm -hmm. but something about imagination dovetails nicely with the idea of a faith that thinks about the possibilities of God, right? And you need to kind of imagination is a much bigger word for that, you know. And uh, it was so helpful for me that word because when I was thinking about if I'm in a situation and I, you know, I'm struggling with faith, um, you know. My imag- I want to engage my imagination to think of the possibilities that are possible here, you know, and, and that's kind of the, the general, I think, energy and feeling that I was going for. Because uh, mm. I think it's a little bit more evocative. It elicits a little bit more from the heart. Uh, and I think it expands people's understanding of faith a little bit more powerfully than, say, something like God, so thinking. You know, so that that's yeah. mostly why. Yeah. Could you maybe give me an example or some kind of um, application point or, I don't know, like for you, how in your life, maybe an example might be best. And Bove, I'm coming to you too, right? So, um, but Pastor Key, in, in your own life, mm. in your family, in your ministry, in your personal life, personal encounters, like, what does it look like for you to take up and to utilize and to lean into your God-saturated imagination? Like, um, how how does that sort of take hold and take root in your life personally? Man, so many different ways. Uh, I think about my life, and it's always I have a small kind of my mind has small ideas about what's possible. But the moments I've take the step to be like, God, you know, you probably have something more going on, something more in store. I don't see how it's going to happen, but I'm going to take a step by, say, going on this mission trip. Uh, I'm going to take a step, um, you know, when we were moving homes, right? And mm-hmm. I would just really, somebody prayed for us and said, God has something in store for you. I just said, okay, God, you know, I don't see what is possible here, but I'm going to trust you. And then he provided in just such a, I'll tell the story some other time, in such a lavish and powerful way. Uh, And, you know, going to Wednesday well, for example, you know, it's just going to be the same thing, right? But instead being like, you know what? No, God can do anything at any moment. And he could, you know, for example, those Asbury Park, People, those, what was the town? Asbury University. Asbury University, right? Asbury they probably. <laughs> <laughs> How they, New Jersey of they, you? They probably went to that service thinking it's just going to be another chapel service, 
right? Yep. But God yep. just unleashed himself there, you know. Uh, you know, if people grant that it was a legitimate God thing, which I think it was, right? And so every, every, you know, every, I don't know if it's sustainable to live like this, but I think I think it can. I feel like the Apostle Paul was always kind of on the cusp of this. Every situation in life, and I think I kind of encourage this in, in, in my sermon, I want to be like, there's every moment I pray, every moment I, I, I go to church, every moment encounter I have with somebody, uh, every time I meet somebody new, I want to think, what can God do here? And... Mm-hmm. And I think part of faith is allowing him the space to do that thing, right? And so that's kind of, for me, I'm always trying to do that. Uh, because yeah. my tendency, just given the way my mind thinks, is to kind of be very reductive, be very narrow. You know, These are the only possibilities. But more and more I'm coming to understand faith to be, hey, stop trying to put God in a box, man. And in every situation, understand that he can explode that box. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's kind of yeah. how it affects my life. Yeah. Bobby, what about you? Um, for me, I think imagination works in a little bit of a different way. And I don't know. I I can't recall if you had mentioned it in your message, but I think um imagination takes the um, what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is you you need the basis of faith. Hmm. You need the basis, yeah, you need the basis of faith in order to have imagination, hmm. right? For example, you can't, like, I'm, like, let's just look at David's story. Mm-hmm. He, when he picked, when he went to fight Goliath and did all the stuff, you hmm. know, afterwards, the whole story, I'm sure he wasn't imagining, oh, God is going to take these five stones, like, you know, Mm pre-imagining, you know, as he was picking up these stones. Part of it is that he had already, he knows God. He knows what God can do. And every time he's faced something, it's always been beyond because of God. Mm. Does that make sense? So Mm -hmm. I think that adds to the imagination part, but that takes faith. Yeah, you know, true. so I think for me, I, you know, part of the reason why I don't read fiction <laughs> is because I can't imagine in my brain what the words in this page looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, I daydream, but I think that's different from that type of imagination. Mm. Um, So when it comes to imagining what God can do. Hmm. I I have all these scenarios and possibilities and stuff, but generally it doesn't it doesn't work like that, hmm. right? So hmm. while I imagine, I also hold it very loosely. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. to say God, even if it didn't happen exactly the way I'm planning for or imagining it to happen, I know for sure that you can do anything. Hmm. Like I know for sure that you already have something for this situation. So I'm going to tell you what I'm ima- what I'm thinking, but I'll leave it to you hmm. and you do your thing. Mm-hmm. And that also I think takes ima- like takes faith and imagination. Mm-hmm. So I think those two elements work both like work together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Oh, uh, no, I was just going to say like but but 
some of that takes a little bit of experience as well. You mm. know what I mean? Because like, let's go back to the the passage. Pastor Key, you spent a considerable amount of time on a very curious thing that David said in his response to King Saul, who goes, you know, Saul's like, what are you going to take on this giant? And David's basically like, listen, I took down lions and bears, <laughs> right? Like this, this fool ate nothing to me when you think about a lion and bear. It's mm-hmm. like David imagining that he can take down, I, I mean, number one, like he, he he's defending his, his faith. He's defending the person in whom his faith is in. That's number mm-hmm. one. But the other thing is David imagining that he can take down this giant like army of a man, one man army, <laughs> him imagining that he can do that. Some of that I would imagine is informed by experience you now. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so this is sort of why, like maybe I, in my mind, I go like, Oh, experience could work just as I'm not, Pastor Keith, mm-hmm. not telling you the word choice is wrong, but, but in my brain, mm-hmm. like, I feel like it, it's sort of hand in hand almost like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, a child doesn't have, maybe this is a bad example, but a child doesn't know what can happen. And, and like, let's say with cooking, like a child doesn't know what a, a piece of fish mm-hmm. and some veggies and chicken stock can, like a child doesn't know what that can turn into and the kind of flavors that that can mm-hmm. develop into unless they have experience with cooking and they have to maybe grow up a little bit maybe mm-hmm. like their motor skills have to develop a little bit yeah. and their their palate has to develop a little bit so that by the time they are an adult and they become a chef then they they, they begin to to exercise and utilize that imagination in such wild and vivid ways but so much of that i don't know like doesn't some of that ex- depend so much on experience as well. Yeah. So that's the difficulty. Uh, my struggle with the word experience is if you have a small experience of God, um, oftentimes that it, if you lean only on that experience to inform the, your faith, you end up having a very small faith, right? And so mm-hmm. David, when he had the experience with the lions and bears, I think he was also implying Actually, he says at the end of his speech that God is the one who rescued him from the lion and the bear. And so before he went out to be a shepherd and fight these things, uh, he had to have some level of faith before the experience. He had to have some mm-hmm. level of trust and imagination before the experience, you know. And then experience is a reinforcing thing. Um, and yeah, so definitely, you know, because I gave a whole sermon on experience before. Uh, it was several mm-hmm. weeks ago, but uh, I was trying to challenge people to go toward experience, recognizing that your current experience is not all of what God has to offer. And so that's kind of how mm-hmm. I would approach the word experience. Um, yeah. Imagination, again, I landed on that because it's a little bit more kind of forward thinking, you know, future thinking kind of thing. Um, but yeah, you know, you know, if if say I chose the word experience, I think I could have unpacked it in a different way. You know what I mean? Sure. That, that ends up kind of in the same place. But but yeah, I I think this is good kind of working through some of the word choices that yeah. that we make. Yeah, yeah. Um, I um, I did want to go. I wanted to take a sort of a a detour into the takeaways that yeah. you offered toward mm-hmm. the back half of your message. Um, and we're not going to go over all of them. So mm-hmm. if you're listening, if you're watching, it'd probably do you, uh, you know, good just to go 
go back and listen to the message itself. It's it's on uh, Spotify. Um, it's on Apple Podcasts as well. So go back and listen to it. But you know, one of the one of the the takeaways um, that I kind of uh, found myself dwelling on for a little bit hmm. was the idea that um, like the difference between thinking theologically and thinking materially, hmm. right? And so. Um, help me help me frame that in my brain about what does that mean? Like thinking about something theologically as opposed to thinking about it materially, right? So um, maybe taking ourselves outside of the four walls of the church and maybe looking at like your family, for instance, mm-hmm. um, uh, mother and father just trying to raise their kids, right? And yeah. just trying to provide a life and clothes on the back, food on the table, roof over the head, all that and, and, and more. Mm-hmm. Um those are good endeavors, right? Yeah. Those are good endeavors. Mm -hmm. But in your mind, um, how then can we move from thinking materially in those respects and to thinking more theologically? Um, You know, and I'm sure that there are carryovers to like vocation and career Mm -hmm. and, and, and family and friends and all these things, right? Like how, how in an everyday way are we able to, rip ourselves from a material sort of a sense mm-hmm. and into a more theological sense. Yeah. So again, I got that phrase from another commentator. She was actually a brilliant, brilliant writer. It took me a long time to understand what she was writing. Uh, mm-hmm. But that, that particular phrase really uh, jumped out to me. And the way she was using it is basically uh, the way the world sees, you know, the universe is Adam's, causes and that's it right there's no god outside of that right to think theologically for her was to recognize everything that you see on in front of you that's not everything that there is and so in a parenting situation as much as i put set the food on the table as much as you know i'll earn money uh, send them to have a good education try to develop good morals in them um to recognize that I have resources beyond just simply those things, right? And so, believe it or not, I really struggle with this as a parent because um, I know the struggle that pastors' kids have with faith at the end of the day. Uh, There's a long, morbid history of that. And um, I I struggle with this every day. I'm like, God, you know, I can do everything a parent can do, and I have no control over where they're going to end up in their faith. And I think to myself, how do I think about this theologically? And I realize this is where prayer comes in. Uh, This is where trying to live out the theological gospel in my life, in the way I interact with them, that's where that comes in, you know? And so... um, yeah, that's basically, I think, how I think about it. Um, I'm sure you guys can probably take it in different directions and, you know, using different yeah. examples. But I think I'll, I will I can stop there and you guys can jump on in. Yeah. Well, Boba, I'd love for you to maybe offer some thoughts on it as well. Like, mm-hmm. what does it mean for you to, to look at your life theologically as opposed to materially? I don't... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if this is going to answer the question because maybe I'm maybe not understanding it fully. 
but I'm gonna try. <laughs> I think this is a, like a thought I had recently. Is I think oftentimes people try to fit God into their life instead of allowing, instead of um, fitting their life into God. Hmm. Does that make sense? And yeah. for me, I think that kind of goes with the theologically but not materially because if you try to fit God into your life, you're always going to be thinking about what you see in front of you. Mm. My kids, mm. my money, my house, my comfort, my yeah. these things that I see in my eyes. God, where do you fit in? Mm. But if you try to fit your life into God, then it switches, right? How does my money affect, I mean, how, how does God see my money? How does God see my house? How yeah, does God right. see what I have? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the shift. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's really good. I, I, as you were talking, those examples kind of popped into my mind. Like Jesus, uh, Jesus was always trying to get people to think theologically, right? Because, you know, there's that one instance, people are thinking about their clothes and their food. And Jesus is like, no, seek first his kingdom. Okay, make that your priority. And then these other things you're going to realize are going to kind of work themselves out, right? There's another place in Paul's letters. Paul's always trying to get people to think theologically, right? Uh, and the one that jumps out for me is when he's talking about the body of Christ. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm, I'm a toe in the body of Christ, right? I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm useless. And then Paul says, no, if you think about it theologically, he's placed you here for a reason. And what that does is that shores up your understanding of worth within the body. And that theological thinking really does a number uh, in, in the sense of self, right? And sense of yeah. my place in the kingdom of God and things like that. And so, I mean, telling you, th thinking theologically has so much power in every context of life. Uh, and so I would actually highly recommend that. I'm, I'm glad you kind of brought it up as a piece to really unpack here. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, for me, and you guys know the struggle well as, you know, as pastors, but it's this idea like, okay, so let's say, Pastor Key, you gave him this message. Mm. And then we're just expecting our people to then go go off and, mm -hmm. and, and live these lives with mm -hmm. God-saturated imaginations. But if I'm honest, like, it's entirely possible that how that is actually lived out in a person's life. It's if you if you're just thinking about like mm. you know like life just goes on for them, and let's say like the best Bible believing Christian that mm. that wants to apply a message like this, sometimes we still run into the thing of like our lives go on, and then as soon as we hit a snag that we can't kind of get across, mm. then we say, okay, God here, like you do it now, mm. or, or, or give me your imagination. And you work in this moment, in mm. this place, not anywhere else, but here in this moment, in this place for this situation, mm. when you're done with it, I'm going to, I'm going to pick it back up and I'll mm. sort of take it for a while. And, you know, for me, one of the biggest things and mm. one of the maybe the harder questions that I, I found myself sort of reflecting was this idea of like, how far does a God-saturated imagina imagination go if we're not even living God-saturated lives? <laughs> like, it, 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 there's no way, no how, no. that 
you're going to know God in your life, or if I could say it another way, like there's no way, no how, mm. that you're going to know what it means to have a God-saturated imagination if you're not at least trying to live a God-saturated life. Yeah. I mean, am I wrong here? No, that's 100% correct. Yeah, so uh, it's like, how then, you know, like, because again, going back to the idea of deconstructing, yeah. having a sort of deconstructionist yeah. attitude towards some of this stuff, it's like, David he points back to his previous experience with lions and bears. Mm -hmm. He, he says, no, I'm going to fight Goliath because if you cowards aren't going to fight this giant mm -hmm. who is insulting my God, <laughs> then I'm going to take him down myself. Like mm -hmm. he would say all these things because his life is so obviously God saturated. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so turning that back onto the listener of a message like this, yeah. like, where do we even go from here? Like, is it even possible yeah. to know the effects of a God-saturated imagination if we're not living God-saturated lives? No, I think you're preaching the right point. Uh, I think the God-saturated God imagination needs to be an outgrowth of a life of discipleship, mm. right? And it's interesting because if you're not living a life of discipleship, your imagination is going to be pretty small, believe it or not, because you... Um, aren't growing in your knowledge of what is actually possible. Because it's interesting. Let's say you try to exercise a God-saturated imagination apart from knowing the character of Christ, apart from one life of discipleship. You're actually going to have a very distorted understanding of what a God-saturated effect looks like in any particular mm. life. And what's interesting is, uh, I was just thinking about this as you are talking, uh, exercising a God-saturated imagination isn't isn't thinking like, oh, I'm going to think in this particular situation, God's going to jump on in and do this miraculous thing, right? That's not, I don't think that's the way a God-saturated imagination thinks. In fact, the way it works is when you look in, for example, the Apostle Paul's life, he saw through my suffering, he saw as I'm writing this letter from prison and my circumstance isn't changing, as I'm about to get executed, I still trust that God can take even this and use it for his kingdom. And he yeah. had no idea that his letters were going to be collected and canonized. <laughs> you know what I mean? For millennia later, that people would be looking at this stuff. And so, you know, that's part of the discipline, I think, of a God-saturated imagination. It's not just this freewheeling per se, but it's also understanding that uh, in the hard stuff, opening yourself up to the possibility that there are things that are going to happen that you may not have access to right now, but you can trust in the character of God to make it unfold. Yeah, yeah. And Bome, this goes to your point too. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go first. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, like, it speaks to your point too. You, you, you talked before about the idea of, like, when you have conversations about people that have these different ideas about God, you don't even know where they got them. Mm. Like it, it's, it's kind of like a, a mischaracterization on mm -hmm. top of a bad preaching on top of bad exegesis <laughs> <laughs> with a sprinkle of heresy, you know, like they just have, just have all, all of these like different ways that they yeah. have and understand God. Right. Like, and it, it goes to your point too of like, yeah, I mean, of course they're going to have that because they're not trying to live God-saturated lives. What they're trying to do is get these little sound bites or these little these little things or these little sayings 
that that help them justify the life that they want to live, but they're not actually moved by the word or by the text or by exegesis or, or any of that mm. kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, actually, as you were talking, mm. uh, actually, this whole entire conversation is really good. But <laughs> something I was thinking about um, was, you know how Jesus asked Apostle Peter, who do you say I am? Mm-hmm. And he said, you're the son of God. Mm-hmm. And he says, the spirit mm-hmm. has made that known to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about that more recently a lot more. Because I think there are people who have encounters with God. And, you know, actually, I don't think scale matters. Even if it was a small one or a big one, I don't think scale matters. But I think there is something um, to building on to what you have been given. Like building faith onto what you have been giving that leads mm. to a God saturated life, that leads mm. to God saturated imagination ultimately. Mm. Um, and I think part of that is us holding on, but also recognizing that there is a spiritual aspect because it's not just theological material, there's spiritual, mm. right? Yeah. So, that there, so knowing that there is a spiritual aspect to this that whether you want to admit it or not those encounters that you've had that you for whatever reason either decided to just you know chalk it up to coincidence or decided oh those are old things those don't matter anymore and you just kind of put it there and leave it there i think that does a disservice to the work of the spirit Mm -hmm. i don't know controversial i don't know i think so um and because i think like even the even those small encounters because not everybody's apostle paul yeah not everybody's the disciples who gets called by jesus jesus ain't walking the earth right now right so like what does that mean for us Hmm. right so it's taking those things and holding it to the next season building (laughs) next season building next season building it's not always going to be flowers and butterflies like good Hmm. things because like you said, um, Pastor Key, Apostle Paul, he's writing in prison He's t- and he's saying, even through this, God will do something, hmm. right? Like that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. All of it, I think it builds to the God-saturated life, God-saturated yeah. imagination. Yeah. I, um, I think about, so one of, one of the points I really tried to emphasize in this sermon was God actually gave us a, a a very powerful feeder for our imagination, which is the resurrection. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. uh, and this goes back to the question of experience. If I've never experienced, but He actually has given us historical um, accounts of a resurrection. And if you take that for what it is and you believe it, then your imagination is blown wide open. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But going back to Pastor Bowie's point, is blown wide open in the sense of not only what's possible, but also in the face of something like death, in the face of being in prison, still recognizing, hey, even in this, God is so powerful that he can resurrect something out of it, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. I think there's, 
Yeah, you know, this is really good because, you know, I think people can misunderstand what God-saturated imagination is all about. And uh, I think unpacking some of these nuances will hopefully bring some level of um, rigor to the idea rather than just kind of this free-floating thing that people take on without really thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, this is... Uh, again, we can, uh, with all of these things, right, we can continue to circle and circle and circle. Mm. Um, but maybe maybe it's enough, right? Like maybe it's enough just to say it's it's on you now to go figure out what a God-saturated yeah. imagination looks like in your life, right? Yeah. Like if you're listening, if you're watching, if you're just a, even a casual observer, I don't know how you stumbled upon this podcast, but... <laughs> Somehow, if you are listening to this conversation, at, at a certain point, we can convince, we can give you theological arguments, we can go on and on and on. But at a certain point, Pastor Kiyu, Pastor Bobe, myself, at a certain point, we had to go figure out what a God-saturated imagination looked like in our own lives. Yeah, that's right. All three of us, I'm sure, have plenty of examples and stories that we can give at a moment's notice about like the last time that God's saturated imagination helped us to see God better or to minister to his people better or to just understand the word better. Right. Mm. But at a certain point we can go on or you can go find out for yourself what it means for God to show up in your life in such like a God saturated way, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Um, Probably a good place to, uh, to find a land this plane uh speaking of planes um you know on the way here i got the uh poor man's first class again and uh if you're listening if you're watching and you don't know what the poor man's first class is it's um it's being seated in economy um but you're in an aisle or you're in a window and uh there's no one in the middle seat so you get to like stretch your shoulders you can do all that stuff you can lean back and lean to the side you know that's what i like to call the poor man's first class it's it's everything you need out of regular first class just none of the price the favor fell on me so hard on the way here uh please pray for me pastor key pastor Bobby, please pray for me but on the way back i would be able to capitalize on the poor man's first class again amen if you are listening you put your hand on your phone right now and pray for me real quick <laughs> if you're watching you better stretch out your hand towards your tv or your phone and pray for me um but uh you know during this time away um you know just resting and kind of taking all sides but uh, i look forward to to being back with you guys uh, i'm coming back uh, this weekend and i'll definitely be with you guys on on sunday so nice. you know don't don't burn the house down <laughs> before i come back and pastor dohi says hi by the way oh you saw her today oh. yeah i saw her today at the thing but she also texted me uh-huh. she said she she loves you guys and you guys are fantastic so so yeah and she actually had her staff listen to the podcast oh and, really uh, yeah yeah <laughs> and they said they all loved it so nice. so yeah something you're doing josh <laughs> yeah uh, honestly i had so uh, man I, i'm so happy that you reminded me of that I, mm. i'm thinking about it even now just for a quick second man i had such a blast um doing that podcast with yeah. her so you know 
um, if you see her again, tell her like, please tell her to come back anytime. Let's just hang out. We'll have a fun conversation. We'll have some Mexican food again after nice. we uh, wrapped up last time. We went to go get Mexican food. And that it was awesome. awesome. It was awesome, you know, and, and I'm looking forward to, to more opportunities to be able to do that. So with um, the the person that gave the lecture uh, yesterday and, mm-hmm. and today, hopefully we get to have him on yeah, and, and other guests in the, in the future. Um, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Awesome. Yeah. Um, all righty. I'm going to land this plane. Um, thank you so much for listening to another new uh, episode of NNPC Plus. Uh, from all of us here at New Mercy Palisade Church, we hope that this is a blessing to you um, and that you are continuing to be encouraged by everything that we do here uh, with this specific medium. Um, until we meet again, we pray that you are blessed, encouraged. We pray that you're safe. We pray that God helps you realize what it means to have a God-saturated imagination. Um, and the testimonies that flow out of that place. And with that, uh, we'll say goodbye. This is NNPC Plus signing off for now. Mm-hmm.